Open your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 10. I was listening to a message by James Knox, our friend, and um, so I was telling the family at lunch that I've got a, a sermon that's a pretty hard text that, I, that I'm going to preach tonight that was inspired by a message by Brother Knox. And Jacob said, I went to the school of hard knocks. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? <laughs> and this is one of those messages that could be preached in a very hard way. And I don't believe that's what the Lord has us has for us tonight. We'll see how it ends up coming out. We just had our discipler meeting. We covered some pretty hard things. And Laura corrected me afterwards. So I have to say this because most of you, many of you were in that meeting. And that is that the ladies did a tremendous job of helping and being in their place. So Laura told me to be sure and say that. All right. And, you know, I'm afraid of Laura. So I, I said it. Okay, so Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1. Now, what I'm trying to do tonight, if we're going to have an eternal view, you know, we're building something eternal. And we looked this morning at a man who had walked away from the faith. And we looked at the reasons that he had. And and honestly, his reasons were kind of silly. Would you all agree with that, that? As a pastor, that's all stuff that you should expect. And yet, people walk away from the Lord. And one of the things that we are trying to do in becoming a welcoming church, in the Sunday morning services, I am attempting to preach doctrinal, biblical sermons that can challenge people, and yet not preach some of those really hard things that the Bible intends for more mature believers. And so that's why these Sunday night services, the Wednesday night Bible studies during the school year, the Sunday school hour, that's why those times are so vitally important as well as your one-on-one discipleship times. Because Sunday morning Christians, um, and I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here on Sunday night, but Sunday morning Christians, they, they don't grow as much as others, because a lot of times, and and understand, I'm using this biblically, that they're spiritual babies, and so they're not ready for strong meat, the strong meat of the Word of God. The Bible in the book of Hebrews, let's see if we can find it. Keep your place in Leviticus. So, I'm sorry, uh, Hebrews chapter 5. And look at verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That's Jesus. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now look at verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, 
ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So why don't we give babies? What, what would happen if you gave a baby a big chunk of steak? What would happen? You'd choke on it. And what happens with preachers, and I've, I've made this mistake, is I've preached meat to babies, and they choke on it. They leave. They, they go by the wayside because they're not ready to handle that strong meat. And we live in a time, the Bible said it would come, when men would not endure sound doctrine. And sound doctrine is the meat. And that's why these times are so vitally important and that, that, that we are here and that we receive the meat from the Word of God and things that are hard to hear. They're hard to hear. But it's the responsibility of the pastor to teach those basic things, to give the babies the milk, but then to give the mature believers the meat. And, you know, we have a lot of churches with a steady diet of milk. Am I right? And they preach the word. Man, I, I praise God for the churches in town that preach the gospel. But I don't think there are very many that actually get into the meat. Would you all agree with that? Now, praise God for those that do. But I don't think very many of them do. And, and I know that because when people come here from those churches, they say, man, I've been in church for 20 years. I've never heard any of this. I've never heard any of it. And all we do is open up the Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture we're not giving anything of profound learning. It's just verse by verse by verse. And that's what we're going to do tonight. And as I mentioned, um, several of these cross-references I got from Brother Knox, and he put, to, he put them together in such a good way that I thought it would be good for us to look at them. And, of course, I'm not going to communicate it the way that he did because I'm not Brother Knox. He's a very unique person. But let, I want you to look at some things here. Look with me at Leviticus chapter 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer. Now, you know what a censer is. It's, it's, a, it's a stick, and on the end of it is a kind of a ball with holes in it, and there's incense in it. Okay? So they took the censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered... Look at these next two words. What do they say? strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. So here's two spiritual leaders doing worship in God's house in a way that God commanded them not to do it. It's interesting. They had their own idea of how to do worship. Look at the next verse. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. How many do you think God was serious when he told them not to do that? Now remember, in the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians, it said that these things were written for our learning. 
Now, how many of you are glad that we live in an age of grace? So when I have done things inappropriately in the pulpit, where I have said things that maybe weren't true, or I had an attitude that maybe wasn't the way that God wants me to do it, I'm very thankful that God didn't kill me. I'm very thankful for that. Why is that? I'll explain that in a minute. But look at verse 3. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. His sons had just died, but he had to hold his peace. Verse 4, And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar and unto Ithamar, his sons, now look at this, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you, and they did according to the word of Moses. What was God telling them? So God had, had commanded them not to use strange fire. Look at Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. It scared them to death because God showed up in fire. And he lit the fire that was before the altar, and that was the only fire that was to be used in the sacrifices and in the burning of incense. But Ahab and Abihu, or I'm sorry, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they decided that they were going to do it their own way, and they brought in strange fire. So not only did God judge them in the way that he told them he would, let me just tell you, young people, whatever God tells you, it's true. If God says he's going to do something, he is going to do it. And so in, when they knew that God would kill anybody that approached the altar inappropriately, and they said, we have our own way, We're gonna, we have a new way of ministry that we believe is the right way to do it, and God killed them. And not only that, but he told his family and the nation of Israel not to even mourn them in the traditional way that they would mourn. Because here's what people do. The judgment of God comes down and they get mad at God rather than saying, we need to glorify God for his holiness in stamping out the evil. That's interesting, isn't it? What God said is, I am righteous in my judgment and don't you dare, don't you dare accuse me of unholiness for doing what I said I would do. Last week we looked at Daniel praying 
before the great and dreadful God? Daniel had read Leviticus. Daniel knew the God that he was worshiping. Look at Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 1. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be the same. So the cubit is 18 inches. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof. Upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. For they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. So there were some rings in it that they would put long poles so they could carry it. And there were only certain men that were allowed to carry it. The sons of Merari, and that's in another place that we'll see that later. But what they did was they would put those in because if you touched the ark, you would die. Because it was a place of holiness. Now again, sometimes people get, they get really messed up on this. How could God... Kill someone for touching that. Well, God's not killing them for touching it. It was the holy place, and holiness can't abide sin. Men are sinful. Sticks are not. So don't touch it. Has anyone here ever worked with electricity? Any of you? You ever worked with electricity? So the electrical panel is right out here behind that. And if I opened up the electrical panel and stuck my hand in there, what's going to happen? Depending on the voltage, I'm going to die. Is that because God hates me? No. Don't touch it. If you touch it, that'd be a great thing in electrician school. Don't touch lest ye die. It's interesting because there's a certain power there. There's a power in holiness. And the power of holiness is that it rejects sin. You all with me on this? That's not the judgment of God. Now, Nadab and Abihu, that was certainly the judgment of God. This is something different. So now let's read on with what it says. Verse 6, And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And so that's the Ten Commandments are put inside. That's the testimony. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps and shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Now look at this. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. 
You see, God cares about worship. God cares about how he is approached. God cares about how these sacrifices were made. And he gave them specific instructions for every bit of it because he cares about it. And you might say, why does he care about it? And there are reasons, but regardless of why he cares, we know that he does care and he expected obedience. You all with me on this? Go with me to John chapter 3. Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That verse explains the difference. So I mentioned earlier that I may have said something that I shouldn't have from the pulpit, or we may have done some things in our church that have been wrong before. Um, I've seen people with my own eyes violate the ordinances as they have been given. Why doesn't God kill us for that? See, I mentioned this in our Sunday school hour today. The Old Testament is all about the land. It's all about the earth. And it's all about an earthly kingdom. And so in the Old Testament, everything is physical. There's a physical sacrifice. There are physical things. In the New Testament, God is building a spiritual body. It's all a spiritual thing. Even the judgment that we have, the judgment seat of Christ for believers, the judgment seat of Christ is in heaven. Our judgment is not here on this earth as believers. And so when ministry is done inappropriately, God doesn't kill the people on the earth. What happens is they die spiritually. There's only one way to approach God. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The only way that we have access to God and thus access to heaven is through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right? So when if I stood up and preached a works salvation, or if I said Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for you, that you don't need that, that you're okay, that there is no eternal judgment, God doesn't kill me. Those that hear that message and believe it are denied access to the spiritual kingdom. They can't go to heaven. If you believe something other than the gospel, you cannot go to heaven. That's what what the apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3. That there were those who were preaching another gospel, which is not another. It says, "If if, if, if I or an angel from heaven preach another gospel, which is not another, let him be accursed. What does that mean? It means damned to hell. They don't die. They don't die physically. Fire doesn't come down from heaven. Have you ever wondered, you watch some crazy preacher on on television? Why doesn't God strike that guy dead? He has. It's a spiritual death. There is no way that person can go to heaven believing what they are preaching if they are preaching anything other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the same God. It's the same God. The difference is it's a spiritual body as opposed to an earthly body. He was working with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Now we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. 
We're a, we are a different kind of nation. We're a spiritual nation. The Bible says we have here no continuing city. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Are you all with me on this? So in the New Testament, look at what Jesus is saying here. And remember, the Gospel of John, even though this was written before the death of Christ, I'm sorry, this account is before the death of Christ, this book of the Bible, the Gospel of John, was written after Paul's writings were written. So that's why so much of this looks just like the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached, even though it was before the death, burial, and resurrection. Are you all with me on this? You understand what I'm saying there? Okay. So look at what it says. John 3, verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And so what did he think? He thought he was talking about a physical birth because he's still in an Old Testament mindset. We understand... Ladies, are you glad that it's not a physical rebirth? That'd be very difficult. It's a spiritual thing. Look at John chapter 4. Remember, Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well. Verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship... Ye know not what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now, is salvation still of the Jews? Only one, Jesus, right? It's an interesting message. Uh, James Knox said, imagine if we went down to First Baptist Church of DeLand, so he pastors in DeLand, Florida, and we were able to take a, a clipboard and do a survey of the people walking out of the church and ask them, why are you a Baptist? I wonder how many of them could say, if you ask, why are you a Baptist and not an Episcopalian? How many of them could say it? Because here's what happens in most churches. Ye worship, you know not what. Because the church service is about you. It's not about him. Did you hear what I just said? The church service is about you. It's not about him. We are worshiping the eternal God. We're looking at the scriptures and finding out who is the God that we worship. And understand, the God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. The God of the law is the God of grace. That's the God that we are worshiping. And so then, look at what the Bible says. Verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So we are to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we've said this often, that there are many churches that worship, they have a great spirit, but there's no truth. There are other churches that have a lot of truth, but they're so dry, there's no spirit. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? I was at a youth camp where Dave McCracken was preaching and he was preaching this text. And so through the whole uh, week, he was asking the kids, it says here at the end of the verse, it says, for the father seeketh such to worship him. And he'd say, are you a such? Are you, can't you see brother Dave doing this? Are you a such? And I wonder if you're a such, are, are you the one that is, that, that he's looking for? Who's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. God cares 
just God cares as much about our worship today as he did when Nadab and Abihu walked in with the strange fire. He cares the same about our worship. The difference is the type of reaction that we get from God. It's very interesting. You know that God has told us when to meet. He's told us what to do when we meet. He's told us when to bring our gifts to the Lord. He's told us how we are to behave in the world. God's told us what a church is. God's told us who the members of the church are. God has told us what the member, what church membership is. He's told us what our message is. He's told us what the ordinances are, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And he's told us there are specific ways that we are to keep those ordinances. All of that is true. Do you all agree with me on that? He's told us every one of those things. So here's the danger. I started mentioning this earlier. So we're, we're attempting to become a welcoming church. We're preaching more milk sermons on Sunday morning than we are meat sermons, although I hope there is some meat in those sermons. Our message is not going to change. See, the danger is, while wanting to welcome more people in, that rather than the, the, the people who come in becoming like us, we become like them. That is such a terrible danger. And there are Christians today who don't believe. Listen, let me put it this way. God does care about baptism. God does care about the Lord's Supper. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 11? Because some of you have eaten unworthily, they're dead. Do you think God cares about the Lord's Supper? He cares about these things. He cares about what we believe. He cares about how our church functions. He cares about the doctrine that's preached here. And listen, this is so important. He cares about your attitude to the judgment that comes from this pulpit. So when I, as your pastor, or whoever preaches the word of God, confronts error in someone either in here or out there, how do you respond to that? For example, if I preach against the charismatic movement, and I stand up and I preach against tongues, speaking in tongues, because that's not for today. And the thing that's called tongues that we see out is not the tongues of the Bible. Tongues in the Bible would be me preaching in English and you understanding it in Lebanese or Arabic. That's what it is. It's not That's garbage. And so I stand up and say that and maybe there's someone here that believes in speaking in tongues and they get offended. Oh, well, because what you're doing is not in the Bible and it violates other people's faith. There are people who walk away from the Lord because God never gives them that gift and they think that they have to have that to be saved. If you go to the first apostolic church here in Sydney, they'll tell you that you must speak in tongues to be saved. 
Liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay, so I say that tonight. And let's say there was someone visiting here tonight that goes to that church and they get offended. Can't help you, man. That's another gospel. If you're teaching that, then you need to be damned to hell. Is that what the Bible says? Seriously. All I'm doing is quoting scripture from the Apostle Paul. So here's what happens. That person might get offended, and that person gets offended, and then someone comes to me and says, Pastor Jim, they got, I love them. They got hurt. Why do you have to be so hard on that stuff? And you're right in the same class of people that God said, don't you mourn for them. Don't you mourn for them. Now, we can be sorry that someone's feelings are hurt, right? We can be... We can be sorry for that. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know what would be better? If those people, they turn that sorrow into repentance. And they repent of believing false doctrine. Because God cares about what we believe here. God cares about what we teach here. It can't always be rosy. There has to be correction sometimes. Look with me. At First Samuel chapter fifteen. First Samuel chapter fifteen. Look at verse twenty two. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You know, there are people that were making the sacrifices, but their heart wasn't in it. They weren't really obeying what God had told them to do. God cares about your heart. Why are you doing what you're doing? God cares about this. Are you bringing strange fire to the Lord? Strange fire? Look with me at 1 Chronicles 15. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 13. So what's going on here is the, the Ark of the Covenant had been in another nation... And so David wants it to be brought back. And so look at verse 7. And they carried the ark. You know, let's start in verse 1 for the context. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at all at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt even unto the entering of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jearim. And David went up and all Israel to Baalah 
that is to Kirjath-Jearim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. Remember that, that God is Jesus Christ. God is actually there with the ark of the covenant. And look at what happens. And they carried the ark of God, and you might want to mark this, in a new cart, in a new cart. They had a new way of transporting the Ark of the Covenant. You see that? They carried it. Is there, so we are in chapter 13 and verse 7. And they carried the Ark of God in a new cart. And look at what happens. Now, were they supposed to be carrying it in a cart? No. No, they were going to do it their own way. Boy, they were trying to honor God in a different way. And they carried the Ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah, and Ahio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. Man, that must have been something. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in, the house of, in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So interesting. See, they had their own way of moving the cart. I'm sorry, of moving the ark. But God had told them what they were supposed to do. Do you think Uzzah was intending to defy God? No, he was trying to help God. Do you think David was intending to defy God? No, he was worshiping God. He called all the people together to worship God. You know, there are a lot of people with really good intentions. And yet they're not doing the work of God the way that God told them to do it. And God does not Accept it. Who's the one being worshipped? It's God. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to worship God in the way that God has commanded us. It's very interesting. Look at chapter 15. First Chronicles chapter 15. And what God does, look at verse... 15, chapter 15 and verse 1, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. What does he start to do? He starts to set in order exactly the way that God had told him to do it. Wouldn't it have been better if the man of God had done that the first time? Look at verse 13. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. For that we sought him not 
after the due order. What did David finally understand? He understood that there's a proper way to approach God and there's an improper way to approach God. For us today, there's a proper way to approach God and it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if anyone teaches anything other than that, let him be accursed. Then when we gather together to worship in the local church, there's a proper order. You have a pastor. You have deacons. You have the separation of church and state. You have the Bible as our sole authority. You have the autonomy of the local church. There's no outside organization commanding what we do. There's the priesthood of the believer. You don't confess your sin to me. You go straight to the Father through Jesus Christ. There's the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. There's individual soul liberty. I can't make you do or believe anything. You are a free moral agent before God. Amen? And then there's a saved church membership. Before anyone can become a member at Grace Baptist Church, they must make a public profession of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. We don't baptize babies because baptism follows salvation and is a public testimony of your salvation. That baby has not made a decision about anything. And so when that baby becomes a member of a church, you have an unsaved church member. So you've got to have a saved church membership. You have to. See, God cares about how we do things. And there are a lot of other churches in town that preach the gospel, but they're wrong on many of the things that I just mentioned. Do we hate them? Not at all. We pray that God will bless anyone that gets saved in that ministry. We pray that as they preach the word of God, that people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also pray that eventually they submit to the scriptures on how they are supposed to worship. Understand that when we condone their error, that we're like those people that wanted to mourn when God said, don't you dare. Strange fire. Strange fire. What do we need to have to understand the message that I'm trying to get across today? We need an eternal view of God. He hasn't changed. The God that cared about how he was approached in the Old Testament is the same God that cares about how he is approached in the New Testament. But here's the good news. Let's finish it up with this. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. We ever open a coffee shop, that's what we're going to call it. He brews. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 14. You know, let's just start in verse 12. It's such a great verse. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, that's made plain, wide open, But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. There's a way that God wants to be approached by us. You know what that way is? Boldly. He doesn't want you to come before him timidly. If you're saved, come boldly into his throne and speak to him with reverence and with awe, but speak to him with love as your father and go before him and ask him what he wants you to do and ask him to reveal in the word of God his exact plan for your life and do that. But always remember that God's work must be done God's way. And listen, we're going to fail here. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. I do all the time. But my heart's desire for Grace Baptist Church is that everything we do comes straight from the Word of God. That's what we're trying to do, and that's the heart that we have to have. Amen? God's work must be done God's way. Lord, help us now. Lord, this is such an unpopular message in today's culture.